KNW, it's Melissa. And Stephanie Carcace. The founders of Millennial Women and the host of Millennial Women Talk. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. This Millennial Women Talk was recorded in front of a live audience in the WeWork offices in East Nashville, Tennessee. We had the chance to have an open and honest conversation with some of the most incredible millennial women of Nashville about how to enjoy your single season, overcome your most debilitating insecurities, and how to be and keep great friends in your life. It was an honor to have speaker, podcaster, and author of the Lipstick Gospel, Stephanie Mae Wilson, to lead us in this conversation. There are so many insightful moments, but here are some of our favorite highlights. It does not matter what color your hair is or how you styled it or whatever. It's if you feel confident in your body, if you feel beautiful, you will look beautiful because look at us. Every single one of us looks different. There is not one standard of beauty in the world. There's not. And then it was also the first moment I realized maybe this thing that I think makes me hideous doesn't actually make me hideous. Maybe this thing for me is one piece of brown grass in a football field. And um, I love friendship. And so I feel like I want as many as possible. And I just feel like there's infinite time and infinite love. And there's infinite love, but there's not infinite time. And now here's our full talk with Stephanie Mae Wilson and the millennial women of Nashville, Tennessee. Well, welcome Millennial Women of Nashville to our Millennial Women Talk event. Uh, We're really excited to be here to tell you a little bit about us. Uh, We're sisters. My name is Melissa Kirkache. This is Stephanie Kirkache. Um, And we started Millennial Women nine months ago. Uh, We are a multimedia company that curates inspirational, resourceful content for the women of our generation. Um, The heartbeat of our company is this. It's our traveling podcast, Millennial Women Talk. Our mission is to travel city by city to uncover the challenges that millennial women are facing and how to overcome them together as a generation. So we're really excited to be here. It's our first time in Nashville, and we have had an amazing warm welcome. So we're really excited to be here. Thank you, WeWork East, for having us and Nashville Events and Catering for supplying this amazing and delicious food. So thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Um, You know, so Mel was saying we do try our best to really focus in on what the local Nashville woman is kind of dealing with and going through. And so we released this Google form out into the digital world and we got a lot of responses from the Nashville women kind of really asking us questions about relationships, whether that be with yourself, relationships, romantic relationships, friendships single season. And so we knew the perfect person to get all these answers from, which is the incredible Stephanie Mae Wilson. Welcome. Oh my goodness. I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, I, I love, I feel like this is my glory here. Like girl talk. I mean, we're maybe a little more dressed up than I wish we were and (laughs) we're not eating pizza and yeah, we don't have like pillows and blankets and sleeping bags and things like that. But this is my glory. This is my favorite thing in the whole world is getting to talk with women. So I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. I want to just kick it off with, for the few of us that don't know you, tell us a little bit about you. What are you passionate about? Stephanie Mae Wilson. Okay. So my name is Stephanie and I'm an author and a speaker and a podcaster Um, and my specialty is helping 20 and 30 something women navigate their most important relationships. And so that's our relationships with God, with our friends, with our significant others or our single life, um, our relationship with our work and our calling and our relationship with ourselves. Um, I've been doing this for eight years now, which is 
crazy. I cannot believe it's been that long. Um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, but I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'm married to that cute guy in the black shirt back there. And uh, we've been married for four and a half years, which is like all of college. I don't know how we've been married for college plus some. Uh, like so we've, we've almost been like married for like college plus like super senior year. I, I just don't know how this happens. Um, but it's awesome. And um, yeah. That's awesome. Well, we want to hear about that. But before we get to that awesome, happy ending, tell us a little bit about your book, The Lipstick Gospel, because that really showcases your journey um, and your single season before your happy ending. So can we talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So um, so when I, uh, I didn't grow up with a faith background, really. Um, my family went to, you know, um, went to church on Christmas and Easter and that was about it. And for the most part, you know, my whole time growing up and all the way through college, I was looking at women older than me, trying to figure out, um, you know, how to live life to the best of my ability. I was just, you know, trying to figure things out on my own and trying to live the best life I possibly could. Halfway through college, sort of towards the end, everything fell apart. And I think that this happens for all of us in different ways in different seasons of our lives. But that's definitely when it fell apart for me. And um, I, you know, the thing was that most of my life was really good. I, and that's the thing that's really confusing is when when our lives look good from the outside. Um, we, you know, I was thriving in school. I was a journalism major and doing super well um, at that. I was in a sorority, uh, one that I loved with, you know, I had a ton of friends and active social life. And so from the outside, it looked like everything was really good. But on the inside, I was falling apart. And I think that that's a lot of our stories is, you know, it's really confusing when everything looks good, but it doesn't feel good. And when we think we have all the things that we thought we were supposed to have, every box is checked, but we're still really feeling like empty and lonely and hurting. Um, that's really where I was. I, I was like so insecure in my skin. I had no idea who I was or what I wanted out of life. Um, my friendships were really, although I had a lot of them, they were really shallow and really, um, even hurtful. I had a lot of friends that I I guess felt a lot more like frenemies, um, than, than true friends. Um, and then, you know, sort of it all culminated all of this, like sort of deep cavernous loneliness and feeling of being lost culminated in this really terrible breakup. Um, I don't know if you guys have had your heart broken before, but I feel like my heart wasn't just broken. It was like, like shattered and stomped on. And I don't know, just, I mean, it was a mess. Um, and, and I really, that was sort of the end for me. That was a, a rock bottom moment for me where I just, I tried everything, you know, I tried everything to make my life, the life I wanted to live. And, and even though some of it was working, that didn't feel like I was hoping it would. And then, then this wasn't working. And I just felt like I was sitting in a pile of rubble and I had no idea what to do about it. Um, what I ended up doing about it was, um, it, you know, the perfect, it was perfect timing. And I think if you can, when your life falls apart, if you can leave the country, I highly recommend it. Um, (laughs) because that's what I got to do. I happened to be studying abroad, um, in college, you know, right at, at, as this was happening. And that was perfect because I got to escape the country, which again, helpful. Um, and I got to be, you know, I, I went to Spain also recommend. Um, but I got to be there with two of my best friends, my two best friends to this day. And, um, as luck would have it as God would have it actually, um, they happened to both be Christians. And so as I was studying abroad, I really embarked on this season of figuring out who I was and, letting my heart heal and, um, having some time, 
like by myself to, to, yeah, really find myself. And then a lot of what I found along the way were finally some friendships that were really kind to me. These women were really good to me no matter what and loved me so well. And that was so healing for me. And then um, in the midst of it all, I ended up having just a crazy moment where I ended up becoming a Christian in the Sistine Chapel of all places, um, which is just a crazy, crazy place for that to happen. So that's kind of, you know, in a super nutshell, that's the story of the Lipstick Gospel. My whole life changed um, and it changed through travel and through, um, you know, through a really big heartbreak and then through some time to, to heal and figure out who I am and time with my girlfriends and, and becoming a Christian, which was huge and transformative for me. Um, and my whole life changed in the wake of that breakup. I love the book because it's so, it's so Stephanie, it's so honest. And I think that it's so rare to find that sort of honesty. And once you do, you're like, that's like my story. Like I relate to that. And I think you've done that not only for me, but for so many people, obviously, I mean, you have your people here for sure that have driven out to meet you. I love that you kind of said that you were in this insecure place. You didn't feel comfortable in your skin. How do you feel? Do you feel that because of that, your relationship, you attracted the wrong guy? Was that one of the main reasons for that relationship ending up in heartbreak? Like, were you just very insecure? Can you speak a little bit about that heartbreak and some of the things you learned from it? Like, what was um, the reasons? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think, you know, like every breakup that, or like every relationship that one ended for a million different reasons, but a lot of it on my end, you know, he had his whole things that he brought to the table again, like, um, that's always the case when it comes to our relationships. But, um, for me, the thing I was bringing to the table was exactly that it was so much insecurity. And I remember, um, I just, no matter how, much this guy loved me, no matter how much, no matter what he said to me or how he treated me or how much attention or love he, you know, showered on me. I I just came up empty. I felt so it wasn't good enough. And I think that, um, when we don't believe that we are worthy of love, it is really hard for us to accept love from somebody else. Because even if someone looks you in the face and says, Stephanie, picking on you because I, I know your name. Um, like Stephanie, I love you. If the thoughts inside your head, if your feelings about yourself are, I'm unlovable, like you just can't possibly believe it. And so that's exactly what I was bringing to the relationship was you can't like, there's no way I no you don't. And, and I didn't mean to be responding that way. I wanted to receive his love, but I just couldn't. And so really you know, that was my half that I owned was deep, deep insecurity that no matter what he did or no matter how good our relationship was, it was never, it was always held back by that. Um, and so that's a lot of what I, I, that's a lot of the journey that I went on when I went to Spain and had that time. And I mean, it's been kind of the journey of my single season, which I know we're going to talk about is, um, was healing from a lot of the things that were broken in me and, and, um, and like finding a, an actual love for myself that. I could carry without needing someone else to, to like do that for me. Um, and then a lot of it was like finding out that God loved me and actually trying to absorb that and step into that and believe it, um, with my whole like life and heart. Um, but I think that that's, I mean, that was a huge roadblock. Um, something that stole so much love and joy from my relationships was 
just like my deep insecurity. And so I knew in the wake of a breakup, I feel like a breakup tells you or shows you all the things you need to work on, <laughs> like for better or for worse. Um, and it's a good thing. Um, there's opportunity there. But for me, that was the opportunity. It was like, Steph, you need to make peace with yourself. You need to believe that you matter are worthy. Yeah. Because no one can convince you if you don't believe it for yourself. Do you know why you felt like that at all? I, f- I feel like we hear this a lot. You have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. And it's really complex. Like, it, how do you really love yourself? And like, first of all, why don't I love myself? And then you kind of have to do that work. Like, well, was it from childhood? Like, was it, I mean, I'm a middle child and I, I know like we were actually talking about this, like the middle child syndrome, like I was totally overlooked. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But you always have to like question this, like why am I struck? Like what happened in my life that made me not love myself? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I think it's like whether we have a really hard childhood or a really good childhood or parents who are absent or parents who are really present or whatever, I don't think First, like somehow, tragically, none of us are immune. And, and I mean, like I couldn't, I don't know. I think it's like, as we're walking through life, we just, we get bumped and bruised by different things. Like someone says something when we're in third grade that just, we absorb that as like, this is the truth about, about who we are. Or, you know, a friend walks away from us showing us that we're like, you know, not worthy of being like sticking around for, or, you know, we do have deep childhood wounds. I don't honestly know what it was for me. I mean, it was maybe like a lot, like all those things mixed together, but I do think that at some point along the way, regardless of what your specific backstory is, we receive this message that we're not good enough. I I think it happens somewhere around middle school (laughs) Um, for most of us, but I think we just like, no matter what our background is, we just pick up this message that we're not, we're not good enough. And it's a really hard message to turn around, a really important message to turn around. But, but yeah. But I think it's really powerful when you actually realize that. I think it's powerful in the sense that it's really hard to realize like, okay, I have a problem. I don't love myself. I'm insecure. And you know, a lot of people, they don't realize that. And they spend their whole life going into relationships, trying to feel this fulfilled and they're not. And, and so like, I think it's really brave and amazing that you realize that in such an early age. And I think when you do realize that, then you can really go through that painful time and period, but that ultimately brings you out to like a better and more, a greater person, more closer to the person that you were supposed to be. So like, I always think of, um, this analogy of like before a butterfly is a butterfly and like all the painfulness that's in a cocoon before it becomes a butterfly. Like you have to go through pain in order to just come out on the other side. So, yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, I think we can all picture people in our head or seasons in our life where we were these people, um, where we are feeling deeply insecure. We are feeling like we're not good enough and we're trying to fulfill ourselves with anything we can find. And it's almost like, you know, you're running around just kind of shoving things in your mouth, like a relationship, more success, like money, clothes, you know, whatever the thing is, we're just kind of stuffing ourselves and stuffing ourselves. And it just, it's like, it's like Chinese food. It like keeps you full for like a half, a half a second. And then you're hungry again. You know, it just doesn't satisfy. Um, and I mean, that's like, that's why I said, you know, my life looked good from the outside. It did. I, I was, I had everything I thought I wanted and yet I was so 
empty. But I think that that like you're so right, Steph, that it's it's brave work saying, listen, we have a problem here. Um, Like there's a hole somewhere in here because things aren't like I'm missing something because you're right. Like there are people that go through their whole lives never realizing that. And, and it's like, you can chase those things forever. And, and it's just a really, and you never get what you're looking for. And so I think stopping and saying, Hey, like something's missing here. There's a hole here. I need to address this. I need to do the painful work of looking back in my past or, um, looking deep into my heart or going to counseling or, you know, having time where I'm not dating anybody or letting go of some of the things I'm holding on to or, um, you know, kind of shedding some of the things that we're grip, yeah, gripping onto. Um, when we can do that work, it's like, we don't have to walk through life with all of this baggage. We just don't have to. Some people do forever and that stinks, but we don't have to do that. We can stop and we can do the painful cocoon work. Um, but we can let that stuff go. And then we get actually, we get to actually live a fuller life that way. Anybody have been through this painful sort of journey and figure out, I guess, what's wrong or what caused all of this? Does anybody want to speak on that? I call it compare and despair. One of my bosses told me that a long time ago, that that's what we do, like scrolling or looking at other people's lives or thinking they have it perfect and that you don't really know what's happening in their life. So we compare and despair. And I was like, oh, I don't really like to despair. So now I call it compare and repair. Whatever you're despairing about whenever you're looking at other people, like her wanting the microphone, um, there's something in you, there's a hole, there's something that needs to be repaired. So that comes from celebrating other people's successes. Like whenever you look at someone and you're jealous, whenever you can really decide they've been through something, I want to celebrate their success. And I really mean that. I'm not just saying it. It's not fake. I'm not going home upset about it. Um, That's when you're really doing the work and you're repairing those holes. So. I think that has a lot to do with like romantic relationships where it's just, especially on the Instagram where it's like that girl got married before me and this girl's relationship is so much better than mine. And then you're like trying to find the right guy, but then you find the wrong guy. And then it's like what you were saying, like you bring on all these things that doesn't satisfy you because inside you're really like not whole, but I don't know. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about your personal story? My personal life. (laughs) You know, it's dangerous when you're sitting next to your sister and she also has the microphone because she can like really throw you under the bus, <laughs> which she totally did. I mean, I definitely um, I, I, I'm not afraid to share. I think I was recently engaged, you know, really in love with this man. A part of me still is, you know, it's recent and I'm still dealing with what happened and those reasons. And that's why I won't really fully share because I still don't understand Um I think a part of it too is just kind of, I'm like a hopeless romantic. It's the art artist side in me. And it's also the side in me that I love Disney world. And I, I love like all those movies. And I just, for me, it was just wanting that, I guess that illusion, you know, that we all have. And I definitely have realized that the relationship that's the most important for me, especially at this moment in my life is the one with myself because it was pretty much non-existent. So as I'm still figuring it out, I would love to ask you Steph, like how do we build that relationship with ourselves and take away that whole image of like, okay, I don't need to be in a relationship with anybody else. And Also that it's not selfish that I'm doing this because sometimes people want to make you feel like, oh, you only are thinking about yourself and what makes you happy and all this stuff. 
and that's selfish, but I don't think so. I think that that's so important. So can you speak a little bit about how can we really build this relationship with ourselves? How can we really love ourselves and repair? Yeah. Yeah. I love the word repair. Um, you know, I think that something that's really like, um, tender to my heart right now is the, um, resource of counseling. And um, my, just a little background, both my parents are licensed psychologists, which was way less weird than people imagine growing up. Um, People are like, oh, no, it's, I mean, they were just totally normal parents. But because of that, I grew up with a a true comfort um, with the idea of counseling and knowing that there are people who can help you um, with, you know, different holes that might be in you for whatever, for whatever like however you got them, um, they can help you through them. And so, um, something that I've been doing for almost exactly a year now is I've been in counseling every week on Thursdays. Um, and it's fun because I actually, after counseling on Thursdays, I think if you guys have been in counseling, you know, that your heart is like a little raw afterwards. Um, so my little tradition is taking myself out to lunch on a date, just me, um, on Thursdays at like at noon. And, um, so that's really fun pro tip. If you guys are in counseling, take yourself to lunch after. But I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things I think we can do, especially when we come across, I think every once in a while we come across things that are bigger than we know how to handle on our own. And, you know, we've tried everything and we've self-cared like crazy. And you're like, no, this still feels really broken. Um, Something that, you know, I'm really passionate about um, just The reason I want to share that is because I think we really can get in our heads about asking for help. We think we need to be like really, really messed up if we're going to ask anybody for help. Um, But it doesn't have to be that way. Counseling therapists um, are a resource to help us through things. If you're coming to a place where you're like, this thing is broken and I've tried fixing it and I can't. Um, So that's sort of a a personal um, recent thing for me that's been super, super helpful. But I think like um, several years ago, I had this realization, you know, we always say we are our own worst critic. And if anyone has spent 45 seconds in their head and their head sounds like my head, they know that that's true. Um, but I, I remember sitting there and I was brushing my teeth, which I feel like all great revelations happen when you're brushing your teeth or in the shower. Um, (laughs) and the shower is like the one moment you can't write it down, which is kind of tricky. Um, but so I'm sitting there and I'm brushing my teeth and I realized if that's true, that we are our own worst critic. Well, we're stuck with ourselves. We have to brush our teeth with ourselves twice a day, every day. We have to go to work every single day with ourselves, every single day, that we are our most consistent coworker. We are our family. We are our friend. We are our social circle. We are always there at social gatherings. We have to get married with ourselves. We have to sleep with ourselves every night. And if it's true that we are our own worst critic, that's crazy because a critic by definition is someone you don't want to spend much time with. They're ser- they're sitting there picking you apart. That's their job. And I just, as I'm brushing my teeth, realized I don't want to live like that, especially because I think, you know, and I know we've all experienced this. When you have someone critiquing you, you perform horribly regardless of, of what it is. You know, if before, you know, we came here, someone had walked up to us and said, you're going to be terrible. Just so you know, you're not going to be good at this. You're going to totally blow it, which is what we say to ourselves sometimes. Yeah. We would probably blow it. We would feel so shaken up and insecure and and scared and nervous. But if someone came up to us beforehand, like, oh, this is kind of cute. I, d- I didn't think I was going to say this. But right before I came up, Carl gave me a kiss and he said what we always say to each other 
um, before we usually leave for work every day, he said, you're smart and you're strong and people like you, um, which is actually from Saturday Night Live, which makes it a little less cute. <laughs> um, uh, but, but so it's like when someone says that to you, you're smart and you're strong and gosh, darn it. People like you, you, you show up with that. And so I think, you know, that day as I'm brushing my teeth, I just realized life is too short and too hard to be our own worst critic. We have to fix this. And like, if you have a relationship with God, God loves you. I realized that the things I was believing about myself were actually totally off from what God says to be true about me. And I got to find that out, like, you know, pretty quickly after the teeth brushing moment. Um, God disagreed with me about how I feel about myself. And the thing is, okay, this is how I feel about me. I think I'm this, 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 and this, all terrible things. God thinks that I'm worthy and loved and chosen and enough and beautiful. All beautiful you are, my darling. That's what he says. Okay, so who am I going to believe? And I think that like, if you're like, okay, well, my mom has to say that about me. You know, I feel this way, but my mom has to love me, whatever. Well, it's, it's God though. And God, I think, is a little stronger and smarter than any of us. And so it's like, okay, if we're going to kind of submit to someone, it might as well be him. And so I think that that's, you know, a really, it's an important journey to, to reconcile with yourself, to heal that, that view you have of yourself, to find out what God says about you and start practicing believing it. Um, but I think that like, when it comes to loving yourself, something that's been really helpful for me, that's really practical is how would I treat a friend? We like, how would I treat a friend? I can't, um, in a couple of the gospels, um, the Pharisees go up to Jesus and they say, Hey, what, like, what's the most important commandment? I'm totally butchering this. If you guys are Bible scholars, but it's basically this. Um, he says, you know, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, Jesus says, love God with your heart and your soul and your mind and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But the thing about that is love your neighbor as yourself. And if I'm loving my neighbor or my friend, the way I love me, I'm picking them apart and treating them like crap. And that's not what, like, that's, that's not what we're called to. We're not called to treat anybody else that way. And we're definitely not called to treat ourselves that way. Um, and so I think that that's kind of been the litmus test that I've, um, or the kind of the benchmark that I've, I've started paying more attention to after the teeth brushing realization was how would, like, if I wasn't, what if I wasn't my own worst critic? What if I was my own best friend? What if I encouraged myself? What if I believed in myself? What if I was kind to myself? What if I was graceful with myself? What if when I messed up, I treated myself the same way I would treat my sister or my best friend when she messed up, like help her up, like dust her off, give her a hug, tell her she's going to be okay. Um, and that's actually on most days how I talk to myself. And it has been it has made the hugest difference. I have to tell you on that topic, because as most of you, everyone in this room, we've all felt insecure at some point or another in our lives. And what you just said about you are your own worst critic. It's so true. And it's like, why do we do that? Like, if you don't treat other people that way, why would you do that to yourself? And I love what you said about living with yourself, working with yourself. I mean, it's true. This is it. Like we could be alone forever. We're still going to be with ourselves. What are like the things that you thought of of yourself that were like negative? And then how did you fix that when you said that's wrong? I'm not, that's not kind. And how did you switch it? So what were your thoughts on yourself negative? And then how did you flip it and make it positive? Um, it's tough. Cause there, are, I mean, as you guys know from your own life, I'm guessing, or maybe it's just me, there are different pieces to it. So, you know, there are things that we like things we wrestle with physically or things we wrestle with about our personalities or things we wrestle with about our past. So I'm trying to think of which one I want to share just because they're sort of, um, they're sort of different. <laughs> so, 
you know, I mentioned that sometimes our wounds, our, our insecurities, they come from things that have happened when we were young. And for me, I, one of the messages I received when I was young, um, I don't want to look at Carl cause I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the messages I received when I was really young, I think third grade, it was the very first time, um, was that I was hairy and y'all people will tell me, they're like, Steph, you have great hair. And I'm like, thanks. I have it everywhere. Like truly, truly, it's like if you have a thick blonde hair on your head, you also have it on your arms and on your legs and like everywhere else. And so, um, so, so that was, um, that was the, the lie that, or that's the truth. The, the thing that, that people started saying to me when I was really little, and it was really damaging for me. It was really painful for me because I mean, I think I was in third grade the first time I like asked my mom if I could wax everything or shave everything. And as a third grader, you should be thinking about playing on the playground and what your friends are doing. You shouldn't be trying to cover yourself up and hide and, and all those things. But really that's what I started doing from then until probably four years ago, just hiding and shaving and waxing and, and covering up and not getting close to people. And, um, and I think that truly that was, which is why I kind of can't believe I'm talking about this because I haven't really shared about it, but, um, that was the thing that to me felt like it discounted me from love. It discounted me from beauty. If someone said, I, I love you. I think you're beautiful. I'd be like, well, that's because you haven't gotten close enough to me yet. Or that's because you're somehow overlooking this thing that's really true and repulsive about me. But if you saw it, if you got close enough, you, you wouldn't love me anymore. Um, I think that, you know, there was this really healing moment for me. And it actually happened in a like setting really similar to this. I was with a bunch of girlfriends and we were having coffee and somehow one, a topic like this came up and I didn't share first because I don't share first, especially when it comes to this, I'll share first about anything else. I won't share first about this except for tonight. Um, we went around the circle one by one and everyone said what their thing was. And for some girls, it was like a birthmark. For some girls, it was her knee. Like one girl, it was her knees. For another girl, it was her boisterous personality. For another girl, it was whatever. We went around the circle. And the thing was, as I was sitting there, I was going, really? That birthmark has kept you wearing scarves in the middle of the summer for your whole life? That is insane. That is the last thing I see when I look at you. Well, I didn't even notice. And then now that I did, I'm like, are you kidding? That's gorgeous. You are gorgeous. It doesn't even begin to like... It's like this, even if it was a piece of of brown grass, which it's not, this is not a bad thing about you at all. It is like a football field of green grass with one tiny like brown grass, but it's not even brown. So it's not even a thing. And I'm looking at these girls and I'm going, you guys are stunning. That personality of yours that you think holds you back or you think is too much. It is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. This is how God made you. And I can see that because I'm not you. And then I thought, oh God, I'm looking at all these girls thinking this thing that you think disqualifies you doesn't disqualify you. And it took me until the very end of the circle to realize the lesson that was in it for me, that this thing that I thought discounted me and made me ugly. Well, first of all, I wasn't the only one who felt like I had a thing like that. We, everyone did. Every single person did. And I think that was the first day I realized that all women are imperfect, that we have all have bodies that like smell weird or grow hair in weird places or like are bigger in some places or dimple in places you didn't wish dimple, like not your cheeks. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, that was the first time I realized that I wasn't the only person with a body that was a body. I thought everyone else was like some airbrushed princess. I, it was the first time I realized, oh, we all have just bodies and they're pretty much all the same. 
And then it was also the first moment I realized maybe this thing that I think makes me hideous doesn't actually make me hideous. Maybe this thing for me is one piece of brown grass in a football field and it's probably not even brown. Because it's always something that nobody else notices. I know. That's what that's what I thought too when she was saying it. I was like, like maybe I okay, that, that one that person thought- in third grade, but like in general, like you were saying, when these girls were going, and I'm sure that if we were to go around, which we won't, unless you unless want you to want share. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure like everybody has that one thing. That is it's just so, so not even noticeable. And that's that's crazy. I mean, honestly, as you were saying this story, and as 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 a woman, right? Because I think women, like, I don't know if men care as much as, like, we do about our physical. But as you were saying it, I couldn't help but, like, start to get a little bit teary. And I was like, Melissa, control yourself. Like, because I, I know, and I'm sure that all you guys know what that feels like. The hairy thing, I can relate to that. I mean, this, this black hair, I mean, it's it's very, like, noticeable. But, you know, it's so many things. My toes are chubby. Like when I was taking the, the picture <laughs> with the logo, which you guys should do at, at the end before you leave. I was like, oh, it'd be so cute. And then I put my feet in. Like, oh, no, but I shouldn't. So I told Stephanie that had the boots on. I said, could you just come in and let me take the picture? Let me do just my chubby toes are covered. Yeah, tonight. but you're covered tonight. Yeah. But, you know, it's so true because what what does that do? Do like no one notices that. No one's in the room saying, Oh, look at her chubby toes or whatever. Like, no one cares. They're just they're looking at you for who you are on the inside. I don't think anybody cares about your outside. They might compliment you when you have like when you walked in, I was like, I love your hair, <laughs> you know? But it's just like no one cares. And thank you for sharing that. Because that at least me at this moment, I was like, oh, thank you. Cause now I can make that okay. I'm not gonna get emotional because this is not about me, but now I can make peace with myself and say, okay, so I have that little piece of brown grass. Who cares? Look at all the greenery, you know? So thank you. That's not even brown. And the thing about this is that when you look, you know, I think we have this, this idea of ourselves, like this is what perfect looks like. But when you look around at your mom and your friends and your sister and the women you look up to, like you're not even celebrities. If you're to look at a celebrity and be like, does she look like a model? No. She doesn't. She, I like, okay, an example. I love Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts has the biggest smile out of anyone in the whole world. And I guarantee you some snot-nosed brat in fifth grade said, your smile is weird. But like, that's her thing. Like, that is her thing. That is what we love about her. And when we see her, we're like, oh my gosh, smile more, smile forever, please. And I think that like, when we, when we see each other, we're seeing the whole of who we are and we're seeing like radiating beauty. And the thing about this is like, I know, I think we're going to talk about dating in a second here. The key to dating, the sexiest thing about you, the most beautiful thing about you is confidence. It is confidence. It does not matter. Carl's in the back nodding. It does not matter what color your hair is or how you styled it or whatever. It's if you feel confident in your body, if you feel beautiful, you will look beautiful because look at us. Every single one of us looks different. There is not one standard of beauty in the world. There's not. Everyone looks different. Everyone has a different brand of beautiful. The only time when we're not beautiful is when I think we don't think we are. We're hiding and we're putting on 8,000 pounds of makeup or like I think when we feel beautiful, when we stand tall in our own brand of beauty exactly as we look, I think that that's the thing where it's like, did you see that girl? Like, oh, just something about her just draws me to her or I need to ask her on a date or I need that girl to be my friend. You know, you're ca- you're captivated by her and that captivating thing isn't the perfect haircut or like no 
hair on your legs or arms or wherever else. It's like, it's that, that inner, it's that glow. Um, hey, y'all. Um, let's see. So I can relate to you. Um, I recently broke up with my fiance. Um, I can relate to you. Uh, I'm Harry as well. <laughs> um, and I think what y'all are doing right now is really, really powerful. Um, I think y'all are connecting us in a way that typically doesn't happen. Um, just honestly, the diversity right now is really huge. Um, and I think we don't follow our intuition enough. I think we as women, um, are naturally really in tuned, um, with what we should do. But what I've found for myself is actually taking action on that, um, and trusting that that confidence is something that I can have. Right. Um, where does that confidence come from? What does it look like? How do you maintain it? How do you sustain it? Um, and I, I honestly feel like each person's journey to that place looks different. Um, I think depending on not only your background, but your environment, um, the resources that you have in your life, you know, the ability to go to Spain is a beautiful thing, uh, but may not, right, 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 you know, right, right, right. But, you know, you can go to the beach, up the street, something, right? So, like, having an understanding that, oh, if I see someone um, who's traveling and doing all these amazing things, their life is perfect because of this, this, and this. Well, how do I change that perspective and be mindful of this is where I am in my life for a reason right now? Um, so it's all about, I feel like the perspective and that's, I think what y'all are also speaking on is changing that perspective on how we view ourselves, how we view our situations, how we view the world, um, and ultimately how we view our future, right? So our future won't change unless we begin to change ourselves in this moment, um, and to have gratitude for each struggle and the pain that we go through because it's creating, um, a sense of self that we didn't actually know before, right? A sense of awareness, a sense of, okay, that was hard. I got through it. Maybe I'm not all the way on the other side, but I'm not where I was, right? Um, and I'm connecting to people because we all share these similar situations. And so it goes through to humanity and just being um, honest and vulnerable. And through that transparency, we create connections and that also in turn, I would say builds confidence because um, we realize we're not alone. Um, this is a journey. It's a process. It's continuing. Um, and we have, fortunately, the capabilities of listening to podcasts and reading really great books and blogs and um, surrounding ourselves with like-minded people who are like, you know what? I'm tired of pointing the finger at other people of what they need to do with their lives or what they aren't or what they are doing. And I want to just let go. I want to surrender. I want to whatever your spiritual kind of, um, you know, walk is knowing we all want to be our best selves. And we have that um, that need and desire to reach our highest potential. And at the end of the day, that that d deals with no one else. No man can bring that to us. No woman can bring that to us. Um, no outside external thing can do for us what we can do for ourselves. So I encourage everyone, 
to um, take time to be mindful in regards to meditation, just being quiet, um, figuring out what you what you want to wake up in the morning and do. And uh, it may look like going, taking a salsa lesson, going to lunch to, for yourself, going to therapy, learning about your chakras, seeing, you know, okay, I'm feeling a little down. It was Suicide Prevention Awareness Month last month. I've dealt with depression. Okay, so I have to change my eating. I can't eat sugar as much because that's not good for me. And just being honest with yourself about this is a change I have to make to be a better me. And I want to be a better me, so I'm going to do it. Thanks. I think it's so powerful, like what you said, when you do share. It just automatically made the room feel so much more warm. It was like, we're all connected, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny because as women, we still, although we know we're not perfect, we still want to portray it. We still want to snap those selfies. We still want to post it on the gram and we still want to like, you know, portray that. And the minute that we don't is when we form the most connections because that's what just happened here. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Very, very much. And also, I think this would be a great way to lead into kind of creating your friendships in adulthood. I think it's very easy when we're young because we're young and we don't really have responsibilities. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go to Tiffany's house and we're just going to do nothing. But um, I think as we get older, we have so so much responsibilities. Some of us here are married. We have children and, and life gets hectic. But it's so important to continue on those connections because you realize, hey, I'm not alone. You're not going through this journey in your mind all the time, because when you, when you isolate yourself, it's kind of, that's a scary place. You never want an idle mind. Like that's something you want to stay away from. So Steph, tell us a little bit about adult friendships. How do we make them? How do we maintain them? And the importance of that. Um, this is like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so I mentioned, you know, in the beginning, my life was really changed by my friendships. Um, I, I found so much healing in myself and in my relationship with myself. Um, you know, my, my faith changed completely because of this space I had with these girlfriends. Um, and I think that just being loved by people just rewires something in us. Having people see us and know us at our best and our worst and saying, hey, I'm in this with you. It just changes us. And so, I mean, I could, you know, we'd be here all night if I, you know, told you guys how many parts of my life, how many moments in my life have been totally transformed by my girlfriends. Um, but that being said, about four and a half years ago, college plus six months ago, um, right when Carl and I got married, we also moved to Nashville in kind of a whirlwind story for another day. Um, but we arrived and I didn't know anyone here, but him. And if you're single, you may be thinking, well, at least you got to move with someone. But guys, I'm telling you, moving with a boy is actually a liability more than it's helpful because, because you have someone to sit and watch Netflix with. You actually can talk yourself out of going anywhere because you're not technically alone. You're kind you're mostly alone, but you're not technically alone. And so you can keep yourself from doing anything for so long. Um, I, I think it's, a, I don't know. I mean, it's hard either way, but really what happened was we moved here to Nashville and I didn't know anybody. And, you know, people say that your first year of marriage is hard and, and our first year of being married to each other was actually really good. Our lives were, were really hard, but, but our marriage was really good. But even so 
it was the loneliest, loneliest year of my entire life because I didn't know anybody. And I, and I got to quickly find out that a husband and best friends are not the same thing. And one does not fulfill the other. One does not compensate for the other. Um, and so for the first time really in my whole life, I had to go about making friends all over again as an adult, not in school. I was working from home. I didn't have any background here or any family here. I had no like jumping off point. I just had to start from scratch. And I remember looking around going, there are all these people here who could be my friends. How in the world do I go about talking to them? Like, how do I go from like, there's a human, I think I'm going to like her to she's my friend. We have each other's numbers and I can call her at three o'clock in the morning. How do I get there? Um, it was a huge long process and I learned a ton. And that's why I love talking about this so much because I think so many of us have found ourselves there for all kinds of, of different reasons. Um, I think we don't expect to feel like eighth graders in the lunch or sixth graders in the lunchroom with like our trays, not knowing where to sit when we're 30, but we do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think, you know, the, I was thinking through today, you know, what is the biggest thing that I learned along the way? And the biggest thing I learned was to show up. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. So one, when it comes to making friends in the first place, um, a lot of us have, we all have opportunities like this one, like being here right now, um, where we get to meet like-minded people. Um, there are clubs you can join. There are classes you can take. There are, you know, like groups you can join, small groups, book clubs, cooking clubs, things like that. There are tons of opportunities in every city of ways to get plugged in. And usually we don't join them. It took me forever to join in groups like that when we first moved to Nashville because um, I was scared. And obviously, we're all scared. Um, and actually, that's something I don't know if is obvious. I think we all are scared and we all think everyone else shows up and feels really good and feels really confident. But really, every single one of us is intimidated to walk into a room. So if you feel that way, you're normal. Um, but so, so that's what I mean by show up. That's one way I mean to show up is that there are all these opportunities that we sometimes don't take. And I, I had to learn the hard way that showing up and putting myself in situations where I could meet other people was really important. Um, another thing is showing up in the fact that I am a professional at Netflix and chill. I really am. There's like nothing I'd rather do. But so often that keeps us from forming the kinds of connections we really want. Um, I, one of my girlfriends had a, a birthday party two Christmases ago and the night of her party, I told her I was going to go. It was just a dinner at a restaurant here. Um, the night of her party, it was cold outside, really cold. I think it even like snowed a little, which is unheard of here in Nashville. Um, and I also was starting to get sick and I just didn't want to go. And I had legitimate reasons for not wanting to go. And I really thought about just skipping out, which I think we've all been there. We've all been there. Yes. You don't want to get dressed. Don't want to put on makeup. Yes. I don't want to put on anything. that's not like my comfiest pants. And so we usually, we back out. And I really thought about it that night. The thing though, was that I ended up talking myself into going. And I'm so glad I did because one, when we show up for each other, every time we show up, whether or not we have a deep, super intense conversation, which we'll talk about that in a second, no matter what we talk about, every time we show up and have time together, our friendships go deeper. If you have one coffee date with someone, by the second coffee date, you're closer. It's just how it works. The more time we spend together, the closer we get to each other. Um, and so my friendship with this friend went so much deeper because I showed up for her. It's, and on her birthday of all times, like that is a tender day. You remember who shows up for you on your birthday. You need people to show up for you on your birthday. But the other thing that happened was that I met two new, really, really great friends of mine because they were sitting across from me at dinner. And I never would have met them. I have no idea how I would have met them if I didn't show up at her birthday party. And the thing is, two of my best friends were supposed to also be at that party and they decided not to go. 
they Netflixed and chilled that night. And I've done that a lot, but I, I know they missed out. And, and I, you know, we didn't talk about it, but I know my friend was hurt that they didn't come. Like we feel hurt when people don't show up for us. We really appreciate it when they do. We have no idea who we can meet by showing up. Um, that's like one of the biggest things we can do for our friendships is just get off the couch and actually go and put ourselves out there and put on the cu- put on the pants, even if they're not comfy. Just go for a couple hours, but you just never know what get, what can happen in that relationship, and then also who else you can meet by showing up. And then the third thing I really learned in terms of maintaining and deepening friendships is showing up in terms of vulnerability. And I know, like we've talked about this, we're so afraid to get like you know, to open ourselves up to people, um, because we're so afraid of what they're going to think of us. But the truth is we all are a mess. We all are hurting. We all are scared. We're all feeling insecure. We all are unsure. We all, um, have questions and doubts and things that aren't going well. When we can be in them together, that's when the magic happens. Um, I had a, a, you know, a dear girlfriend, actually, she was on the podcast yesterday, Hannah. Um, she and I went to coffee or went to lunch, like within the first six months of Carl and I living here. And we had hung out a couple times. And every time we hung out, we were getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer, but we happened to be going to lunch on a day when I was in just a mess in life. Some crazy things were happening in our life. And I just, I couldn't pull it together. I couldn't be my shiniest, best self. I just showed up at lunch, totally like rubbed raw. And instead of trying to put on a fake face or trying to like, look like, you know, presentable and put together, I was just honest with her about what I was going through. And I cried and she got mad with me, which is the best when your friends get mad with you or cry with you. Oh, um, she got in it with me and and she talked me through it and she was there for me in a really raw moment. And the craziest thing happened. I went home feeling like, oh gosh, like uh, I opened up a little too much to Hannah. I don't know what she's thinking. Um, a week later, I got a thank you note from her um, just saying that she felt so honored by the fact that I'd opened up to her and that now she knew that she could open up to me in the same way. And that's what happens when we show up as our vulnerable selves. We're able to show someone like, hey, this isn't the kind of space where you have to be perfect. You can be imperfect here. I'm imperfect. And if you have something imperfect to bring to the table, it's welcome here. We're in this together. So show up. The topic of friendship is like right up alley because we we spoke about this prior to, you know, talking on the podcast and my struggles with friendships and trying to actually maintain friendships because it's always like really great in the beginning and we're having so much fun and all of a sudden something goes wrong. They'll take advantage of you. They'll backstab you. You, you know, open yourself up and then they're like, oh, she's weak. That's where I'm going to go ahead and take advantage. And so truthfully, I really don't have friendships. I just, I, I just don't because it's something that I've actually closed off on. I don't know if anybody in this room relates to that, if I'm the only person. And so how did you ever feel like that? Or if you didn't, what's the best advice that you can give to people that are feeling that, that are, that are kind of like turned off by friendships? If that sounds weird, it's almost like I'm not even interested because I'm like, I know how this is going to turn out. So why am I going to waste my time? What advice can you give to people who are going through that? Um, I definitely have been there and, um, all throughout my life, it's, it's kind of crazy to see the story unfold because there've been sort of two lanes that have unfolded next to each other. And on one side, I've had really solid, really close friendships my whole life. Um, like I said, I mentioned my best friend, Michelle, that I was in Spain with, um, she has been my best friend since I was in, uh, since I was eight, eight years old. 
Um, she's about to have her first baby like any day now. Um, I cannot wait. But so she's been, you know, I've had some really solid friends my whole life, but I've also had some really bad friends my whole life. Um, it was like, you know, I'd have some, some really solid ones that I would hang out with sometimes, but sort of my everyday friends, the girls, you know, on my team in high school or, you know, in my classes or, you know, in my sorority even would be the kind of girls who, um, and not all of them, but who I just didn't feel safe around and, and I wasn't safe around. I've had unsafe friends or friends where there was like a lot of comparison, a lot of competition, a lot of, um, I'm angry with you, but I'm not telling you why a lot of like, I'll say one thing to your face. And then when you're gone, I'll, I'll say something else. Um, when I was in college, I lived in a house with a bunch of girls and my room was right across the hall from, um, the living room. And that was kind of our, our main living space. And I always hated having to go to my room. I would never want to go to bed first. And I would never want to go in there to do my homework because when I would be in my room, I could hear them talking about me from the living room. And it just was like, I just had this sick, horrible feeling in my stomach because they would be really kind to me when I was around and not all of them, but they'd be kind to me when I was around, but then I'd close my door. I'm like, not even, I'm like from here to the couch. I, I can hear you. Um, I ended up getting, what do you do in that situation? Do you walk out and say like, my mom says you should be nice to me. Like, I mean, I just, I didn't know how to handle it. And so, um, what I ended up doing was getting like a giant box fan that was really loud. So at least if they were going to be talking about me, I just like, couldn't hear it. So I totally hear you. The thing that I was thinking when, when you said that was, we're not all bad. And we know this as women, we're not all bad and we can be bad. We all can be bad, but we can all choose to not be. We can choose to be the kind of people who were the same to your face as when you turn around, that when you tell us a secret, it's safe with us, that we're not going to judge you for what you're going through, that we're going to be the kind of person who goes over to your house at three o'clock in the morning and, and I don't know, holds back your hair, whatever the thing is like that. We're going to be that person for you. We all have the capability of being that. Um, and so I, I do think that all of us have run into women who don't know how to be that kind of safe friend. And usually they don't know how to be that safe friend because they haven't had safe friends or they've had really unsafe friends. One of my favorite things to say is uh, hurt people, hurt people. Um, people who are bad friends have had really bad friends, wounded people, wound people. And so I hate that so many of us have run across people who have really wounded us. But I think that we get to be, we get to make the decision that we're one, not going to go ahead and turn around and inflict that on someone else, but also that we're going to keep trying because friendship is worth it. It is so worth it. We need each other. Life is so much better and it's easier and it's way more fun when we get to walk through it together. And, and it takes a lot of trial and error and it is so hard to keep trying, especially when you've been hurt but it's worth it because we're not all that way. And we all don't have to be that way. I'm really glad I stuck it out. I'm really glad I stuck it out because I've made some really wonderful friends, even in the last year. I think that along the way, you know, something that was really important for me to do. And I did this when I was 25 years old, I decided I wasn't going to be friends with people who are mean to me anymore. And I don't, it's crazy because we're like adults. Like we have like a mortgage. We can have a, have a baby and still we can be in charge of a whole life, but also we can't say, I'm not going to be friends with someone who's mean to me. It took me until I was 25 years old to finally stop that lane to say like, I'm done. If you are angry with me and you're not willing to like reconcile or come to me or tell me what happened or fix it, I can't do this. Like I, I just refuse to be friends for, with people who are mean to me. Um, and I think that that's a decision we can make too. That's so powerful. And it's not only in friendships, it's also in relationships. And I think as women, because we're nurturers and we are carers and 
So if somebody's mean to you, it's like you 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 feel the hurt of that meanness, but you're also like, well, what's wrong with them? And like, how can I fix them to they're not, they have to be mean to me for a certain reason. And like, we kind of go down that and more so in relationships than friendships. Cause if a girl's mean to you, you're just like, I'm never talking to her again, or you're going to snap back really quick. But mostly with, with, you know, romantic relationships for sure. Personally, I found myself like I'm, you know, intaking all of this meanness and I'm just like, well, maybe it was something, you know, like you start making excuses for people. So I think that that's like a really golden rule that we should all have for ourselves because our relationship with ourselves is that important is to just be like you said, you're going to be mean to me. I just don't accept it. And that's really powerful. And that's a hard decision, but I think that's really amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And it's hard too, because especially in relationships, like we want to be, we see the brokenness in someone. We don't want to abandon them in the midst of brokenness. It seems so cruel to say like, yeah, we feel so guilty. But the thing is, it's not our job to fix someone and we can't. And we're not saying, I hate you. We're not saying I wish harm on you. We're just saying while you're in this place, you are not allowed to harm me. That's where I draw the line. I love you and I want you to get help. And here's a number you can call or a guy you can meet with or something like, but you need to walk that journey on your own. And until you can be a safe person for me, until you can treat me the way that I deserve to be treated, which is with kindness and respect and safety, I can't be on this journey with you. Um, we have to like part ways until until you can treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. And so it's like, it's not, we're not, we're not abandoning them. Like they, we're not the one who can help them anyway. We can't fix anybody. No one is our responsibility to, our, to fix, not even our spouse. Like we can't do that work for them. They have to do that work. Um, and until you're married, like you're not bound to this person and you like that, that person needs to, needs to, to work on that thing in themselves. Um, and we get to draw, like the boundary we draw is you're just not allowed to hurt me out of your hurt anymore. That's so powerful because you know how they always say, like, especially in relationships, you're like, well, good through thick and thin and good and bad, you should stick it out. And then you're like hoping there's like this little glimpse of hope and you're like, he'll change or it will get better. And then it just doesn't because if the work isn't done within, there's no way that you can have any successful relationship. One of my favorite quotes from Tony Robbins is, if you're not happy in your relationship, don't change the relationship, change you first. And then either get back into that relationship because you both are healed or move on to something else. But if yeah. you don't do the work, it's not, it's not going to work. Well, and you can't want it more than he does. Like you can't want him to change more than he wants to change because you cannot, you cannot fix anybody. And, and so I think, yeah, it's like, oh, like through thick and thin, they'll get better, whatever. But if like you want them to get better, better than, or more than they want to get better, you're stuck. Like they have to, the work is up to them and, and you'll be there if, if they do the work, but you can't, you can't hold out hope, hoping that they'll do something that they don't want to do, you know, to love yourself again is not, it's like where you're saying you shouldn't feel guilty for that. And I think that that's great. Yeah, for sure. If it's anything that I personally learned from that is that it's okay to choose yourself and it's, it's okay. It's, you shouldn't feel guilty for that, or it's a selfish thing, you know, to choosing yourself is the best thing you could do. Because like you said, we're all we got like day in, day out, like we're with ourselves 24 seven. So it's important to make that choice. So thank you. I really took that from tonight. So thank you. 
Does anybody have any questions at all? They want to chime in on anything? Hi. <laughs> My question's for Stephanie. So um, when you met Carl, I want to know how did your life change and how did your outlook change? Like, because you were single before. So what was the biggest thing that changed for you when you got married to Carl? I wonder, okay, wait, I want to know what you mean a little bit more. Do you mean like, um, like how did I view myself differently or like how did the logistics of my life change or tell me, I want to know, I want to make sure I'm answering your question right. Um, I guess just how I'm in your, um, your course right now, your love your single life. (laughs) So I've been listening to your thoughts on like how to be single and how to, you know, make the most of your single life. So I just kind of wanted to know, like, how did things change when you met Carl? Were you, were you like, yes, I don't have to be single anymore? Or, like, is it what you expected when you found your person? Um, I guess that's my question. Um, okay, I love that. Oh, hey, we need to hug after. Um, I definitely didn't think, yes, I don't have to be single anymore. Um, it wasn't like stepping in air conditioning after, like, a brutally hot Tennessee day. Um, it wasn't this, like, sense of relief. I think that, you know, what I, and we talk about this in the course about how the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is green under your feet always. There are lessons to learn. There's beauty to behold. There are, you know, all kinds of really beautiful things that you can only enjoy in the moment. Um, And the grass is always green under your feet. It's maybe just a slightly different shade. And I think that that's the best way I can explain, like, the difference between being single and being married for me was um, there were some really amazing things about being single that I don't have anymore. Um, there's like all kinds of, you know, freedom. There's um, possibility that like when you're, when you haven't married someone, there's so many questions of like, who is it going to be? Or like, what's life? I mean, marriage answers a question and there's something really wonderful about that. Something so satisfying in that. But then there's also something like all the other, there are all these questions that are now answered with that answer as well. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it really felt like a different, a different shade of green. Um, I love being married and I have, um, the thing that, and this is, this isn't the case for everybody because everyone's personality is different. Everyone marries someone different. Everyone comes into marriage with all kinds of different baggage or struggles or different things. Um, but what I found is that marriage is a lot more fun than I had even anticipated because everyone just tells you it's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, I think when you come into marriage with a whole bunch of junk and brokenness, it's really, really hard. Um, which is why I'm so passionate about teaching this course, because I think that the reason that our marriage got to be really good right away is because we had both healed from so much crap along the way. We had both done so much work in our own lives. So when we, and it's not that we're done, like we're, I just told you, I've been in counseling for the last year, but the work that we had done in our own individual lives before we got together has made our marriage so much better. And so I think it's, it's a different kind, it's a different shade of green. There are things I don't get to do anymore because I'm not single, but there are things I get to do because I'm married. And so I think, um, I just think the grass is super green on both sides of the fence. And I think that when we practice like laying back in it and getting a lemonade and like watching the clouds go by and making the most of it in this season, when we get to the next season, whatever that is, we'll be able to do the exact same thing there. So I feel like I really got to do that when I was single and I just loved it. Not every moment, not every moment of it, but I loved it a lot and really tried to make the most of it. And now I feel like I can do that in marriage too, because I like wore out my singleness, like a sweat pair of sweatpants. I like can't get rid of. And now I have a new pair and I'm just wearing them out like crazy. And, um, so I don't know if that's sort of a roundabout answer to your question, but yeah.
That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Um, something you said about um, how we need to put ourselves first in our friendships and relationships and knowing we can't fix people's brokenness. I just kind of wanted to share something my therapist actually told me last week in my session um, was that how impersonal it is. And what's funny is we were talking about it in a professional sense of the word. Like when you get rejected for something, it's not you. It's just, you didn't happen to be what you were looking for. And um, I think the frustrating thing for me for the longest time to accept is that how can it not be personal? They're rejecting you as a person, but in the end it's more about them. And that's kind of what I've come to realize. And I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I also um, wanted to ask, uh, I suffer from a lot of introversion and anxiety. And so this is terrifying right now. Any thoughts other than just joining clubs to really push yourself to go out and be with your friends more? Because there are some times like where I want to hang out with my friends, but I also just don't have the actual energy to do so. Gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. I, I, um, I feel like I'm not as nervous when I'm in this situation, but when I know that I'm about to have to introduce myself or something and I'm like, we were at an event together. Um, and when I knew I was going to have to like say my name and what I do in front of this group, I was like sweating bullets. <laughs> so I, it's terrifying. Right. Um, I think that, so first of all, I love what you said about it. It's not personal. It, it really isn't. And we make that conversion in our head of if a friend rejects us or if a friend treats us poorly, we are worthy of being treated poorly. Or we are like this, that's, that's the truth of who we are. Um, but really it's about them and it's about their past and it's about the junk that they're dealing with. And it's, I mean, so infrequently is it like, I'm fine. I just don't like you, but we always take it that way. And so I, gosh, therapy for the win. Um, when it comes to pushing yourself, I think that something that, um, I think as I get older, I'm more of an introvert than I realized. Um, I really do feel like I'm maybe right down the middle. So I do need a lot of alone time. And I think that as I, something I've been learning to do, we were talking about boundaries for a second. That's like my lesson of the year, um, is looking at my calendar and looking at what's on my plate and really trying to look ahead at what I, what I need. Um, you know, I, I can't go to another lunch date this week because I just, have had too much time with people. I need a day at home or I, you know, it's hard when you have a weekend free on your calendar. You're like, well, I'm free. My best friend taught me, no, no, no. You carve that out. Like you block it off. That weekend free is a date. Like that is an event. You don't touch that. Um, and so that's something I've really been learning how to do is to try to try to forecast a little bit, making sure that I have time scheduled in for refreshing and being by myself and then also time scheduled in with my friends because that's the other thing. And I really had to do this when I was, when we first moved here, I had to like, and I don't know if you're a list person, but I'm, I can get myself to do anything if I can check it off, like on a to-do list. Um, what I did was I had to say, Stephanie, you are going to go to coffee with one friend per week. And the reason I had to do that is because I had zero friends. So now I don't do that quite as much. Um, but like, I, you know, you have to go to coffee with one person per week because I knew coffee date one, awkward. Coffee date two, a little less awkward. Coffee date four, kind of starting to be friends. And I knew if I could just get started checking it off that we would get to friends way quicker. Um, and so I think that for me, I had to, I had to carve, I have to carve out time for me so that I'm having enough time to refill. But at the same time, I have to force myself <laughs> 
to get out of my comfort zone. It, and I'm telling you, I was in a, a small group at church for six months and every Monday I would go, Carl, I'm not going. And he would go, I think you should go. And I'm not, I'm not going. I think you should go. And I would go and I would come back and I would say, it was kind of awkward, but I'm glad I went. And for the first six months, that small group was awkward. Something happened though at the six month mark. Kaylee was actually my small group leader. Um, something happened at the six month mark and it turned into magic. And all of a sudden I felt like I was connected and I had people who knew me and it was because I showed up every stinking Monday for six stinking months, but it got better. And that's the truth. Like it gets better. It gets better the more we do it. And so if you're a checklist person, like make little boxes and check it off and know that every single time you check off a box, you are stepping closer to being in community and being connected to people who see you and know you and love you. And then the closer, the more check boxes you check off, the more, or the closer you are to having friends who feel like you're people to where you're not like small talking with them anymore, where you can like, yeah, comfy pants friends. Um, yeah, the more, more check boxes we check, the quicker we can get there. I wanted to quickly add to what you were saying about sometimes if you don't want to like leave your house or, or you're still trying to like make friends, Instagram friends is real. Like, honestly, that's how I met Stephanie Mae Wilson was through Instagram. Like when I find people or somebody that inspires me, I started to just DM them and just be like, I think you're great. And then next time, oh, I think you're great. And then it's like, maybe we should do a Google Hangout, which we did. And then now this is the first time we're meeting in person and doesn't even feel like that because I feel like we've been friends for a really long time. So that was a great way for me to start to build friendships when I was super against it before I turned 30, which was February of this year. So literally the second I turned 30, I really started to make a lot of changes in my life. And that was one of them where I was going to be more accepting to other women and letting them actually be my friends and, and it works. So that's another tip. If you don't want to leave the house like me, <laughs> I'm, that's me all day, but I mean, it's amazing. You came out today. So I think that's amazing. We're so happy you're here, but I'm, that's me all the time. Like I have to force myself because I'm very comfortable in my bed and my, in my, I always say my extra large, um, Disneyland sweatpants. Cause they're like extra, extra large. They're so comfortable and they have Mickey and I love them so much. Anyhow. So when I'm comfortable, you know, and plus granted, like we, uh, we have this company, we're always so busy and we're all very busy in our, in our own life. So I, I relate to that. You just don't have the energy. You're just like, I really have to do this now. Like I'm so tired and I'm right now I'm so comfortable. So I think that sometimes is it really just forcing yourself just to get out there and just get to know I'm taking that yeah. away with me. Too. There's no trick. There's no trick. And, um, it, everyone feels awkward. Everyone feels awkward. No one knows what to wear. No one knows what to say. Everybody feels uncomfortable. Everyone's feeling like they don't know what to do with their hands. Like, I mean, everyone is uncomfortable. Um, and I think it really is, it's forcing yourself. And I think the thing about it is that even, and I'm not a total introvert, so I don't know this hundred percent, but I think even as an introvert, there's a lot of time where when you're like for the first six months of friendship, you're forcing yourself to get out and it takes energy from you. But after six months of investment, I feel like that friendship starts to give back because all of a sudden they're the kind of person where you can just sort of flop down and be like, tell me what's new. Like they're the kind of friendship that gives you energy because you've put in enough investment to get to know each other well enough. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the thing is like, it's forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. It's like, um, it's kind of like, I mean, it's like with dating, it's like the first several dates you're wearing like a super 
your best outfit and you're like on your best behavior and you're like sitting up straight and you're nervous about who's going to pay. And like the whole thing is exhausting and terrifying. But then like six months in, they're your best friend and you can sit on the couch and watch Netflix together. And that's how friendship is too. It's a lot of first dates, a lot of awkwardness, but eventually that awkwardness fades and it starts to really pay you back and it starts to give you energy. I have a quick question. So I've moved around a lot. I grew up in Miami, then got went to LA for work, got relocated to New York. And then after being in New York, I got relocated back to LA in five years. So I've restarted friendships multiple times and I'm very lucky that I am able to have the amazing friendships that I have in my life. Really resonated with what one of you had said on not having to, thank you, Steph, fix everyone. And I think that it took me until I got to New York and when you're really pressed for time, because that city's like, you got to hustle or you won't make it. Um, it took me a little bit to figure out where I wanted to invest my time. Because my time is very, very, very valuable. And it took me living in New York to realize that. So now that I have all these friends in all these different places... I'm very lucky to have a man that I adore with my whole heart. And my family, my little sister drove from Orlando to be here today. I have these people that I love and adore in my life, but I feel that I have to put all this energy and effort into everything. And I love them. It's not hard, but it's just how, how do you maintain that level of effort with all these different people that you love. But at the same time, like I feel like everyone keeps up because of social, but I also feel that sometimes on social, we're very like, this is me with lipstick out at an event versus like in those vulnerable moments. So I just love your thoughts about time management with multiple different types of levels of relationships and how we should be thinking about that to feel the most self-fulfilled. And also how to how to be there for them, but then also know when you got to let them do their thing because then you have to focus on the time and energy into passion projects that you have for yourself or how you're trying to take yourself to the next level. I have to say that this is probably the area of friendship where I'm the weakest. Um, this and like, what do you do when you're when you need to like break up with a friend or like how to, how to end friendships. Um, TBD on that. (laughs) Um, not, not good at that. Um, I love friendship. And so I feel like I want as many as possible. And I just feel like there's infinite time and infinite love and there's infinite love, but there's not infinite time. Um, and so this has been a real struggle for me, especially having lived in different places. Like how do you maintain friendships long distance? And then also how do you find the time to maintain friendships with all these different people? Um, I think that in some circumstances, some of the friendships you make in different seasons are for a season. Um, I don't know how to transition into the, like into knowing that, like, I don't, I don't know how you really know or, um, if you have that conversation or what that looks like, like, I truly don't know. Um, still sort of trying to figure that out. But I think one thing that's been really illuminating for me is that there's this idea that when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. 
And this has been really clear for me when I, so I'm from Denver, my family um, still lives there. And then my two best friends still live there. Well, several of my best friends still live there. And that's the problem. When I go home, no matter how long I'm home for, I'm disappointing somebody and um, I'm frustrating somebody. They're all, they're people I love to get coffee with. Like, and I just cannot, cannot fit it all in. And I think the thing that's helped me understand this idea of when you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else is if I said yes to going to coffee with some random friends, some kind of like old college friends or whatever, whoever's there, that means less time with my mom. That means less time with Michelle, who's been my best friend since I was eight. And those are things I finally realized. Those are things I'm not willing to compromise time on. And so usually when I'm home, I see maybe five people and most of them are related to me because I know that saying yes to something is saying no to something else. Um, So I think that this is, this is the most un-Stephanie advice I could ever think to give, but it's, but it's helped me a lot. I think in some ways we have to rank our friends. And I think instead of like, you know, one to whatever, it's thinking of it in terms of circles. Like in our innermost circle, there can only be just a couple people. And there are different theories on this, like how many it can be. But maybe in our next circle, they're like five to six or something. And we're all different. I think some of us are like, I need one best friend and I'm set. Like some people are like, I need 7,000 best friends and I'm set. I tend to be more of the 7,000 person. Um, but I think, you know, really evaluating if you have time for two people, who are the people you are most accountable for? Who are the people that need you the most? Who are the people that you need the most? Who are your closest people no matter what? And those people need the most of your time. So for me, like Carl, he does, he deserves more of my time than anybody else because he's my husband and I need to be giving him more time than anybody else. Next, it's my family and my very, very, very closest friends. And not everybody can fit in that circle because I, there's not enough time. Time is finite. And then there's the next circle. And so I think it's like, um, just thinking about it that way, it feels so cruel and so backwards for me because I'm like, truly, I have room for an infinite number of best friends. I just don't necessarily have enough time to deeply invest at the same level in every single one of them. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard. But I do think the thing that's been helpful for me is seeing that when I'm a little more clear about how much time I do or don't have to give to some of the people that might not be quite as close to the center, then I can give more time to the people who are in the center and those relationships get to flourish in the way that I really want them to and in the way I really need them to. Does that make sense? This is hard (laughs) and is kind of the worst. Um, It's a really beautiful thing, but it's a really hard thing to love a whole bunch of people and to not really know how to fit that all together. But that's kind of where I am on the journey. Thank you so much, Stephanie Mae Wilson, for coming and for speaking with us and being so insanely vulnerable. And I know that that's hard to do. And I appreciate that. We appreciate that. The women of Nashville appreciate that. So thank you for being here. It was a true honor to have you. And to all the millennial women of Nashville, thank you for being here. Um, we, I was telling you earlier, Steph and I have never felt so welcomed as we do here in Nashville. So thank you for coming today and for connecting with us too, through DM and just being so gracious. And, um, and we, we hope that you gained a lot of value from this conversation and please continue it on social. We are always too online. So thank you for coming. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more on how to walk in faith during your single season, be sure to download a free copy of The Lipstick Gospel at stephaniemaywilson.com and follow her at smaywilson on Instagram. Let's stay connected. Follow us at We Are Millennial Women on Instagram and Facebook to follow our journey as we hear the voices of the women of our generation and uncover the challenges we face as well as how we choose to overcome them. Visit us at wearemillennialwomen.com to get your tickets to a Millennial Women Talk, a live podcast meetup event in a city near you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Always remember to keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW. Always love, Melissa and Stephanie Carcace.